Ananian. If tomorrow all the things were gone, I'd work for all my life. And I had to start again with just my children and my wife. Thank my lucky stars to be living here today. Cause the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away. The Car Doctor. And I'm proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And I won't forget the men who died, who gave that right to me. And I gladly stand up next to you and defend her still today. Cause there ain't no doubt I love this land. God bless. The Welcome to the radio home of Ron and Anian, the car doctor. Since 1991, this is where car owners the world over turn to for their definitive opinion on automotive repair. If your mechanic's giving you a busy signal, pick up the phone and call in. The garage doors are open. But I am here to take your calls at 855-560-9900. And now... So proudly we hail at the twilight's last gleaming, whose broad stripes and bright stars through the perilous fight. For the ramparts we watched were so gallantly streaming, and the rockets reckless, the bombs bursting. Welcome, come on in, sit down, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here today on this very special show. I, I enjoy every each and every show spending this time with you, but this time of year, Memorial Day weekend, I um I enjoy this time just a little bit more because it's a special kind of time as we sit and get together and we turn it into that one weekend a year where we pay homage to the men and women in uniform who have fallen and uh, those who, uh, you know, it's the home of the free because of the brave. And um, we are very glad to be here today, um, able to do what we do uh, because of them. And uh, we say thank you. Coming up today, we have a very filled show. So I guess the question of whether or not history judges and says, hey, was this a good show or not, will be how fast do the next two hours go by. We have Chuck Wanamaker stopping by of the Wanamaker car collection fame, among other things. Chuck Wanamaker Jr., there's a Chuck Wanamaker Sr., him and his dad, um, operate a repair facility, Waldwick, New Jersey, and they also have a 100-plus car collection. I can only envision what life is like in their house. Did you buy a car today, dear? No, honey. I only have, 
you know, 80 or 90. The last time we talked to Chuck, the conversation was, uh, I don't know, I think I got 100 or so cars. I'm not really sure. So, you know, this got to be an interesting couple of guys. We're going to talk to Junior today about Hot Rods Cruising. And uh, they've got a car show coming up locally in Waldwick, New Jersey, if you're in the area. On June the 4th, I believe it is. That's a Sunday. So we're going to talk to them a little bit about that. What what Hot Rods and Cruising really are all about uh, as we kick off the summer uh, season officially here, Memorial Day week. And we're also going to talk to George Mead down around the bottom of the hour. George Mead, if you are a New York City uh, resident and you've been a New York City resident listening to WR Radio 710 for the longest time, the voice will be familiar. Go, gee, I know that guy. Uh, George Mead, long history here in the New York City area, flew WR 710, the helicopter around New York for many, many years. But George also in another life as a as a younger man was a chopper pilot in Vietnam. And we thought we would reach out to George this Memorial Day and talk to him a little bit about Memorial Day and what it means to him and what life was like in Vietnam as a young kid uh, way back when and um, what he went through and talk a little bit about repairs and how well the helicopters held up and those kind of things. We're looking forward to that. Coming up in the second hour, we've reached out again to Jim Donnelly of Hemmings Classic Car. Jim is going to be stopping by. Is it the Indy 500? We've called him now before the show to make sure all is there. And all Tom said to me was, Ron, I could barely hear him. He said there's 350,000 people packed in the stands at Indianapolis this weekend. He said they were letting people in through the gate, not even checking tickets, just to get them in the door for now. And they're handing out programs later on because it's just such a mad rush. It's madcap. They can't keep track of everything. So we're going to talk to Jim. And then 3.30, or down the bottom of the hour, actually, um, at the 30 mark, we're going to reach out in that second hour and talk to Uncle Steve. Uncle Steve will be back with us this year. And uh, this was really at your request. Everybody really wanted to know, hey, what happened to Uncle Steve? He was a little tired and wasn't up to it and a little under the weather. And uh, he called me midweek and he said to me, hey, point blank, listen, you know what? Uh, I enjoy talking to the people on radio. He says, I want to be there if you got room for me. I said, Uncle Steve, we've always got room for you, babe. And uh, we're going to talk to him once again. So, uh, you know, just going to be a different kind of show today. We are here to talk about cars, and we will talk about cars, but from a slightly different angle as we continue to remember what Memorial Day is and uh, how glad we are to be here able to do all these things that we do. Even old cars had problems, right? I mean, we talk about the good old days, and as we take this look back and forward and all the things we're going to do today, you know, even old cars have problems. And when technology was just a word in the dictionary, it was all I could think about looking at this particular car that came into the shop at RA Automotive this week. 88 Lincoln Town car. And the technology, as a word, was really nothing new. The customer complaint was no high beam operation. You'd hit the dimmer switch and nothing would happen. The high beam indicator would flash to pass. It would come on because the car had flashed to pass in 88. And this is almost 30 years ago. But the high beams wouldn't stay on. And you say to yourself, how complicated can it be? Gee, it's one of the good old days cars, right? It's from 30 years ago. Those cars didn't have crazy problems. And actually, photo cell amplifiers, which is what this car had, automatic high-low beam. It also it had automatic high-low beam, and it had auto dimmer. So this car really had quite a bit of technology for 88, but that actually goes back to the 50s. There were, there were Cadillacs in the 50s that had auto eye and Uh, I forget the other name they had for it uh, way back when that would automatically dim the headlights and play with high beam, low beam, and all that. But it was just the way they did it in 88 that made me look at this. There's a photocell amplifier that sits at the bottom of the rearview mirror, and that actually has the ability to see the brightness of the oncoming lights and help make a determination on whether or not to turn the high beams on or off. 
during the diagnosis, it came to the point where on the four-pin connector on the side of the photocell, you have to jumper the two wires. There's there's two outbound wires. There's pins one, two, three, four, starting in the front is one, and the back is four. That's the end. They want you to jumper pins one and four across each other because that bypasses the photocell circuit, and then the high beams should work correctly or just manually, as it were. So you'd have low beam, you'd have high beam as you flick the dimmer switch. Well, I did that. Nothing happened. Still didn't work. And I thought that was kind of odd because now I'm into something, frankly, I hadn't seen before. And I knew there was going to be an issue. I said, you know, this is more than what normally goes wrong. What could we have here? So on a hunch, I traced the wiring up the little pogo stick that the wiring came down going up to the sun visor and found a cut wire. Then I found a second cut wire. Then I found a third cut wire, and only one out of the four wires that was coming down to the photocell amplifier had complete circuit. Talked to the customer, well, gee, you know, we had a windshield put in this car a couple of months back, and that's when I knew it was wrong, and I dug a little deeper, and I took some of the trim down around the visors, and sure enough, when they put the windshield in, they clipped the four wires and actually physically cutting three of them against the body of the vehicle, so they sheared it right off. It just stayed up in the headliner so that you couldn't see it. But then I said to myself, when did this happen, and how long have the high-low beams been out of commission? The customer couldn't really answer. There was a little bit of confusion. Well, I think it's been a year, but I had a cracked windshield, and I waited six months to get it done, and I, I, bottom line, I rewired the circuit and repaired it, plugged it in, still didn't work, jumpered the four pin, jumper pins from one and four together, all of a sudden high-low beams work normally. Sometimes even old-school technology gets confusing and also becomes a compounded problem because of outside influences. They had the windshield put in, and even when they had the windshield put in, the photocell amplifier, which is now obsolete, was probably not working at that time. But because time went on, and this is what I don't like about fixing cars with check engine lights. Yeah, let me just drive it for a year with the check engine light on. What could go wrong? When did the next problem occur? When did the next issue happen? And as I said to Tonino, when I gave it back to him, I said, you're lucky in that I was able to solve it this way and not have to get deeper up into the headliner in order to do so. And he acknowledged that. And he understands, and Tonino's a good guy. He's a regular customer, and we love having him come in the shop. Um, This is his baby, and we're very proud to take care of it. But it really made me think about the fact that even old cars have problems, and you've just got to deal with them on a case-by-case, day-to-day basis and not not get overly involved in them and say, ah, old car, not worth fixing. Everything's worth fixing. You just got to take the time to go through it. Hello and welcome. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor here at 855-560-9900. Again, the Car Doctor's 24-7 phone number. If you have the need, give us a call, 855-560-9900. want to talk about your car problem, whatever it is, and uh, we'll help you solve it. That phone number is also 24-7. You can call, leave a message. Our executive producer, Fast Harry, will call you back and put you in the lineup in the queue. For the next live show, we are live out on the network Saturday afternoons, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. And this radio show then goes off and uh, is on delayed broadcast, um, you know, later on around the weekend across our 80-something affiliates. And uh, we will uh, be glad to take your call and 
take you off the messaging system that we have installed there and talk to you the following week. If you're looking for other information, you want podcasts, cardoctorshow.com is a great place to go. You can find podcasts there. You'll also find interviews of everybody we do today, as well as you can get out to tunein.com, iHeart, and iTunes.com for podcasting information. And uh, keep in mind, we've got a Facebook page, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. And if you're looking for your each for your very own Car Doctor T-shirt, get out to eBay and look up Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor T or Car Doctor T-shirt and uh, available for purchase now because I know a lot of you are looking for them. We had a bunch of them go flying out the door this week, and uh, uh, we're glad to do it. We're excited to see that everybody everybody just wants a Car Doctor T-shirt. It's kind of exciting, and um, uh, we're glad to send them out to you. 855-560-9900. Chuck Wanamaker's coming up next. I'm Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. Don't go away. We're back. Doctor here. You know, there's a lot of traditions we enjoy as Americans and our freedoms each and every day. And one of them begins at the start of summer. We all start to think about older cars and cruising and hot rods and just uh, car shows and uh, some of the great things that we get to do each and every summer. And we find it very enjoyable to go back each and every year and this become an annual tradition now in the car doctor. We talk to the Wanamaker boys. We have Chuck Wanamaker Jr. with us today. And um, if this man ever gets a garage sale going, I'm going to be the first one to show up because I can only imagine what's in that garage. Chuck, welcome back to the car doctor. Love having you. Hi, Ron. How are you? All right. Um, what is in the Wanamaker garage this year? I mean, how many cars are in the collection now? What are you up to? <laughs> When's the last time I talked to you about it? Uh, well, <laughs> that's a tough question. Because <laughs> that matters. Yeah, really? Well, let's see. If I had asked you six months ago how many cars were in the collection versus today. About 100. So... You, you've got 100 cars in the collection right now. Yes, sir. Do you know what each and every one of them are? Absolutely. Do you know where each and every one of them are? Pretty much. Yeah. How often do you, <laughs> ha, ha, you know, how big of a chore is this to keep them running, Chuck? I mean, it's 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 got to be an, a full-time job. Yeah, it certainly is. And, you know, well, you know, me and my dad go 24-7 as it is, so the cars just add to our pain. But we love doing it, so it is what it is. Yeah. What's 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 your favorite addition to the car, to the, to the uh, fleet this year? Favorite edition. Yeah. What did you add? What did you add since uh, last year when we first talked? Yeah. Well, we bought a seventy Mach a seventy Mach one, a Mustang. It's really a nice car. I enjoy driving it. That's a lot of fun. Yeah. Why? Why is? Why do you enjoy that car? What makes that car stand out in your mind? The color it is what it is. I guess it's a hot rod from back in the in the eighties, and that's just. I guess that's when it started all for me. Yeah. You know, people look at hot rods today as, and I get a sense of this when I drive mine that. You know, gee, there's that old guy in the loud car. Are 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 we are we crackpots, Chuck? I mean, are we missing something? Is it time for us to move on, or are the people that don't understand what the old cars represent are they the ones that are missing the missing the point? Oh boy, it's, I don't know. I hope to say we're not a dying breed. <laughs> you know, well, you know, are we? Now, listen, you guys have a car show coming up next weekend, right? June fourth. June fifth, yes. June fifth. I'm sorry. Uh, that's going to be June fifth. That'll be a week from Sunday. Yes. Uh, tomorrow, so June fifth in Waldwick, New Jersey. For, and and look at what you're doing with that. You're using those proceeds to do what? Because there's a good cause involved in that. Just benefiting our train station. It actually made it to a local museum. <clears throat> but we actually do need the train. The train station actually opened last weekend for the first time in I don't even know how long. 
we're the, I did the eighth group to try and make it open, and we made it open. Right. So you're um, you're actually preserving a bit of local history because there's a lot of history in that train station. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, that train station opened when back in the 1880s, I thought, or 70s. Was it? I, I can't. I don't remember how long. I don't know the exact date either, but it's that old. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's that old. It's it's back into the uh, you know late 1800s, and you guys took that and renovated it solely with donations and proceeds and fundraising and things like this car show that everybody comes out to see on a regular basis now. You're the big show in North Jersey that weekend. Yes, we are. And, I mean, it's only for people that help us just like you do and everybody else around us that helps us. It makes a small community become real big. And the interesting thing is, you know, you could just empty the Wanamaker garage and that would be the show. <laughs> but, but you really don't. No, you know, we don't. We, we we don't really emphasize that for ourselves, but we, we support everybody that comes, that's for sure. Yeah, you really do, and there's going to be music. You're going to have, uh, are you going to have an Elvis impersonator again this year? <clears throat> yeah, he's a local guy. He's from town, from Waldwick, and him and his wife and his family donate their time, and they're really a great, great group, a group to have. So, you know, I go back to the first question. For everybody that looks at Hot Rods and thinks, hey, there's some old guy in an old, loud car, he can't get past his youth. How crazy is he, Chuck? They're really not. Actually, the generations are changing. They're getting down to the 1980, 90-style cars. You see the guys that are 40, 50, they're starting to buy those because that's what they had in high school. Right, yeah. So it's, it's changing. It's maybe not be the 55 Chevy that you and I really love, but they're still there. There's always going to be that love affair with, the, with, with, with muscle cars and hot rods, and that's one of the things we get to begin enjoying as we kick off summer this Memorial Day weekend, right? That's for sure. Yeah. How's the garage coming real quick? i got 30 seconds. How's the garage coming real quick up there in uh, Wanamaker land? We're pretty much done. There's a few odds and ends, but we're filling it up as we speak. Yeah, now I understand, and I'll say this lightly. I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but um, there's rumors of a television pilot being uh, put together centered around that garage. Can we just get a yes or no answer on that? Yes, there is, absolutely. Okay. I'm actually, actually going to do a, uh, a magazine shoot on my own car for myself that I've had for 35 years. Cool. Hey, listen, when you get that done and uh, the TV pilot goes forward, you keep us posted, and uh, uh, we'd like to give you some coverage here. All right, buddy? Yeah, the car doctor's right at the center of it. Okay, cool beans. Hey, Chucky, my best to you and your family and your dad. You have a great Memorial Day weekend. Thanks for taking the time. We'll see you next Sunday, June the 5th, in Waldwick, New Jersey. I'm Ron Annie and the Car Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. Ron and Andy and the Car Doctor as we continue our Memorial Day salute this weekend. Um, you know, never in my wildest imagination, starting out 25 years ago on radio, did I think that um, I would be sitting here interviewing my next guest. I've known the man personally for the better part of 20 years, and um, he's, he's a great guy on radio. He's a great guy off radio. But there's another side to George Mead, and um, we're here to talk about that a little bit today and his, uh, his service to the country. George, welcome aboard, sir. Well, good afternoon to you, Ron, and all your listeners, and it's uh, good to be with you here on a uh, Memorial Day weekend afternoon. You know, George, when we worked together at WR in New York many years ago, and uh, um, we spent those, never once, you know, did it come up about Vietnam and your your service to the country, and uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about that today and, um, you know, give the listeners some information about what was probably so typical of what you went through, what so many young people of that time period went through. Can you talk about it a little bit? 
Yeah, I, uh, interestingly enough, grew up in a family with uh, heritage in the military. Matter of fact, my father, uh, another George Meade, is still alive and kicking at 97 years old, and he was in uh, World War II and uh, D-Day, Battle of the Bulge, and right down the line. So I, I never really thought too much about not going in the military. And at the time, when I went into college, I was at Seton Hall University. Uh, I was in the ROTC program, uh, which everyone had to uh, have uh, credits in the first year, and I decided to continue. And it was at that time I got involved in the flight program. I was only 21 years old out at Caldwell Airport. I started flying on a, a Cessna 150, a fixed-wing aircraft, and I thought for sure that they were going to you know, send me to Vietnam and I was going to fly a fixed-wing, but unfortunately in 1965-66 there was such a big buildup uh, in the troop uh, movements over there that uh, I got on board a helicopter whether I wanted to or not, but in retrospect, I was really happy I did. Is it is it second nature to you now, George? If you flew what? if you flew a helicopter today, is it just you know like like you never left? Well, the, the thing, Ron, it's almost uh, people ask me now. I, I retired about eight years ago, but it's about thirteen years since I last flew. And uh, I probably, it's kind of like riding a bike, maybe with a little help with an instructor or a seasoned pilot next to me. I probably could take off and land and, and uh, without too much of a problem. I used to land, as you probably remember, on this little wooden dolly, which was, you know, maybe seven feet by about eight feet. You'd land on there with the skids, and then they would uh, tow you in and out to the hangar. So uh, it was like a little postage stamp. Maybe that would be a little difficult now, but it's really kind of like riding a bike. I flew 17,000 hours, a couple of thousand in the military, and 15,000 hours around New York. When um, you were in Vietnam, um, for lack of a better way to put it, and what I'm after is survival rate of the of the aircraft. Were you ever you ever take hit in combat, or do you know of aircraft hit in combat? How well did they survive, and then what was the task before the mechanics trying to fix it to get it ready for the next mission? Well, I tell you, we, they had great uh, maintenance. I was in the first air cab, which was really, if you've seen the movie Apocalypse Now, it was really that was what the unit was like. So each day we'd go out and fly, and sometimes there were combat assaults, and sometimes there were uh, direct combat support. We'd fly maybe to a mountaintop to a, a special forces camp and deliver goods or, or maybe something good like the mail. People always ask me, well, were they shooting at you or did you get hit? You, you only know if they're shooting at you if you get hit. And I don't mean personally, I mean the aircraft. So when you took off and you came back from the mission, no matter how short or how long it was, there was always a, a visual inspection that went on between the pilot and the maintenance crew. And sometimes hits wouldn't hurt you if you get it maybe in the fuselage, but if you take uh, a round in the blades, it certainly changes the changes the aerodynamics of the helicopter. So, uh, believe me, the pilots were great, but the mechanics were even better. We flew with two pilots, and then there were two door gunners, and one was always a full-fledged mechanic. So, if something happened in flight, I guess we could try to fix it, or well, if. if, if if you if you did take a round, I mean, if you were unlucky enough to take a round in flight and it hit the engine or the transmission, uh, basically in a helicopter, if uh, the next time you look at one, you can think of it, there's a key word. It's called auto-rotation. So let's say you take a round and all of a sudden your engine quits. 
the transmission, which is really above your head, is a freewheeling system. And as you're coming down with no power now, the air is rushing up through the blades and turning them at the same RPM that you would if you had the engine. Right. And you go in and you make a landing just like you did if you had the engine. But you have to remember, you're only getting one shot at this. So there's only <laughs> one landing, yeah. and that's it. Yeah. If If you look back at it now, George, and, you know, they called you up. Forget the age limitation. They called you up. Would you go again? No. It's not that I wouldn't want to go and, uh, you know, hopefully uh, do the cry for freedom and everything. But one of the, the things that when I think back, and it's interesting, I this last Wednesday, the 25th of May, I went to Vietnam 50 years ago. And I think to myself, I'm 73 now. I was a 23-year-old kid who had very limited hours, and nobody's going to tell me I could do anything with that machine. You want me to go out and the middle of the night we would land to a flashlight on the side of the hill and just hope it was an American on the other side holding it. Right. Would I go to the friend feed him? Fine. But, I mean, some of the things as I look back, I think when you're young and naive, whether it's with a car, you know, the problems that come out when you first get your license or a race car driver, sometimes you look back and say, gee, I can't believe I did that. And, and, and then you came home from Vietnam. And you end up at WOR flying WR-710 around New York City. How great is that? Yeah, that was great because I really wanted to continue flying. And I, I, I couldn't get a job anywhere. And all of a sudden, <clears throat> I got a job with a, an alpha called Butler Aviation, which is over at LaGuardia. They had a contract with the all-news station in New York. And I became a helicopter pilot and got thrown on the air one day. And less than a year later, April of 1969, I got to go to WOR and uh, fly with the great Fred Feldman, who was the pioneer in traffic reporting in New York. And that was it. Forty years later, um, uh, I, I finally walked away from the microphone, and no regrets. Twenty-five of the 40 years I flew around New York and had this special bird's-eye view, a reserved seat for the uh, greatest city in the world. Uh, and you were known as the man who knew the streets. If anybody wanted directions, you were the guy to listen to because... You knew where you you had that bird's eye view. Yeah, I, I was the eye in the sky, yeah. and uh, you know I was Mr. GPS long before they ever invented it. And there wasn't anything I didn't know about the city. And I think that was the magic of WOR when I worked with uh, John A. Gambling. He would turn New York into a little city, and uh, that's exactly uh, the integral part I played because we would talk about the streets in New York or things that were going on, and you would think you were talking about uh, Waldwick, New Jersey. Yeah, small town USA, right? And that was one of the gifts that uh, he always brought to the microphone, and you were there with him. Um, and then you had some opportunities also as, as an aside, right? You were, um, you were in the movies. Dog day, oh, yeah. dog, dog day afternoon. Any time there was a movie or they wanted to shoot a commercial around New York, they'd always come to WOR radio and either talk to Fred Feldman or myself. And uh, we were actually, I actually covered the real events of Dog Day's afternoon. And that was in uh, in Brooklyn during a uh, convention. They had, I think it was the Democratic convention down in Miami. We broke in as I was doing the afternoon traffic. And lo and behold, years later, it became a part of a movie. And, yeah, I, I had a lot of, you know, fun things from just taking a helicopter ride early in my life. I mean, I did a book, George Meets New York. We're in a couple of movies, and we did commercials. So it, it beat working for a living. And you still drive a Buick. 
Uh, listen, I have two white Buicks in my garage. I have four grown children, eight grandkids, and they all look at me and say, hey, there's more of those white cars, and they don't, they don't know what they are. But as you always told me, one of the best engines ever made. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. George, i got to tell you, it's been an absolute pleasure. And, uh, you know, I look back on our days together at WOR, and I, I laugh and I smile, and I was glad to count you as one of the mentors that helped bring me along. And um, I've just been an absolute pleasure to have you here today with us. We hope to look do it again sometime. Yeah, we'll do it again sometime, and I appreciate the time to do it on Memorial Day. And don't just think about veterans this time of the year. Think about them the rest of the year because a lot of people made a lot of sacrifices so we could have uh, the life we have, Ron. So uh, we will see you. We'll see you. Thank you, George. We appreciate your time and your sentiments, and uh, we uh, we thank you for your service like so many others. I'm Ron Anany and The Car Doctor. We are back right after this. Hey, welcome back. Ron Anany, The Car Doctor. And uh, once again, I want to thank George Mead and for taking the time and uh, out of his weekend and also Chuck Wanamaker. We just posted up on uh, our Facebook page as far as the Waldwick Car Show, by the way, which is Sunday, June 5th, if you're in the Waldwick, New Jersey area. Uh, we just put it up on our Ron Anany, The Car Doctor Facebook page. More information about the show. You can read all about it there and uh, what it does for the Waldwick Community Alliance. Let's get over to the phone lines, 855-560-9900. Bob, you're on with the car doctor, 05F350 Ford. What can I do for you? Ron, um, uh, the truck belongs to my brother-in-law. He's been having uh, trouble with this 2005 Ford F350 Super Duty. Right. It has about 116000 on the odometer, and he's got an intermittent no crank, no start for the last year and a half. Okay. He's been getting by by jump-starting it all this time. And then he'll come home and he'll put it on the charger. He'll charge the battery back up and he'll it'll be all right for a little while. And then the same cycle repeats itself. Now, I've had a chance to uh, uh, load test this battery at least twice, and it passed. The, uh, the cable connections on the battery are spotlessly clean. Um, the uh, battery voltage across the battery uh, when, it's, when the engine is running is about 13.85 volts. Now, I know the charging system that I've checked at least twice tests out that way. So I'm thinking, what the heck? It's got to be a parasitic draw. So a couple of weeks ago, uh, after I d did a lot of researching on it, I took my, my uh, digital volt ohm meter and hooked it up for a parasitic draw test. And um, I'm reading 350 milliamps after the courtesy lights and whatever else is going on there how, times out. How, how long are you waiting for the end of this? That's going to be my good question. Uh, so let, let me tell you, I, I waited, uh, you know, uh, I could tell when the, when the courtesy lights went up because it was drawing like three-quarters of an amp after all of those courtesy and dome lights went out. But I'm thinking there's got to be other things that are waiting to go to sleep. I thought I waited uh, two or three minutes, good amount of time before everything went to sleep, and I'm still seeing 350 milliamps. Now, I know I want under 50, 
milliamp draw. Right. right. So uh, I said, John, get in the truck and uh, start pulling these fuses one at a time until we find what circuit is going to drop. So we pulled all of the fuses, everyone in the, in the uh, it's got a fuse box inside under the dashboard. Right. There's it's another like, one under the hood, right. I know, but there's, we never there's, got that there's, far. There's, there's two fuse boxes. There's one under the hood, one under the dash. Uh, exactly. Um, but, but, the so, other part, but the other part of this question still becomes, how long are you waiting to, to judge this draw? We, we waited about uh, two or three minutes. No, not, not nearly long enough. So, uh, Ron, here's, here's my question. Go ahead. We pulled the uh, F2 fuse, um, which is labeled in the Ford owner's manual as cluster. That's when we saw the, uh, the current draw fall off from 350 to about 30. And I'm saying, okay, something in the cluster here is causing this parasitic draw. Well, so, Ron, I have these two questions written down ahead. here for you. Go ahead. The first question is, did I wait long enough for the circuits to go to sleep? I read on the Internet that someone suggested to wait 45 minutes before everything goes to sleep. Exactly so right. So then uh, 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 that, that begs the question, did I troubleshoot it correctly so far? And my second question is, I read that there is a battery saver relay on the cluster, and is that malfunctioning? Because I see, I'm looking at the schematic that I downloaded here, and I see that there is a battery saver relay controlled by some sort of a microprocessor that exists on there. Okay, I'll tell you what, Bob, sit tight. Let me pull over and take this pause. When we come back, we'll answer both of those questions. I'm Ron Annie in the car, Doctor. We're back right after this. Welcome back. We're on the Indian the Car Doctor. Bob, you're still there, sir. I am. We're talking with Bob up in, uh, I believe it's, is it Maine or Massachusetts, Bob? We're uh, in Drake at Massachusetts. Drake at Mass, uh, about his 05 F-350 with the drain. Um, let me get, get a couple of comments in here. First of all, um, on the chance that this is not a dead battery, and I just want to say this, okay, that, you know, is there any sound from the key when you turn it, or is the vehicle dead? He tells me there's a click. Okay. But it's a still a crank, uh, no crank, no start. Okay, so and th- there's a... And he gets instant response whether he puts on a, a lithium, lithium jump starter or a regular jump from another okay. vehicle. I just, I just want to put it in there that if it's a click but no start, I want to know where that click's coming from. Is the starter drive getting thrown out? And for whatever reason, I've seen jump starts start starters that have an internal high resistance issue. So I just want to state that maybe this is a starter problem. That being said, or a starter circuit-related problem, one of the things I would do with all that you've done so far is the solenoid feed is a yellow light blue wire that comes out of the starter relay, out of the battery box under the hood, and the battery junction box. And I would put a 194 side marker bulb circuit in there. I would set it up so that the bulb lights. If you turn the key on and that bulb is lit and you get a click, that starter's got that starter's got juice. The next thing I would do is I would go find a cigarette lighter adapter 
and set it up so that you can put a voltmeter right across it through the cigarette lighter inside the vehicle when you go to crank it, though you have at least 12 volts, 12 and a half volts at the terminal cranking, and you could actually test to see what voltage do you have when the car starts versus what voltage do you have when the car doesn't start. That being said, to answer your two direct questions, one, you did not wait long enough. This vehicle requires 35 to 45 minutes of wait time in order to be sure that the system has powered down. That fuse you pulled, fuse number two, actually does, is doing just what it's supposed to do. You are putting the instrument cluster in what they call deep sleep. And then at that point, you've now bypassed the battery saver relay. So rerun all your tests. You're doing a great job. Just wait 45 minutes and see if the draw goes away. If it doesn't, call me back and we'll diagnose from there. But think about that side marker bulb issue as that may be it. I'm running in the car. 